Okay, and we're back on to the show, your favorite podcast with no name. Do we have a name yet? We're playing with Latin terms, Vox. Oh, right. Fratrem. I've forgotten my declensions. As long as we don't know what the name is, then we're good. I think that's a, that's a good new trend we can start. Yes. Um, there is, for those of you who are concerned with these things, there is no Latin word for siblings, so we are using the gender-neutral brothers in this particular instance. Exactly. Moving and we're on. not sure about the declension, apparently. No. Fratri. So. Fratrem. Fratri. Fratri. Because it will be dative, no? Or I don't know what the dative of frat... Or, okay, yeah, we'll just... Uh, uh. Genitivo? Okay. Well... It would be... The voice of the siblings? Of, right, Hello. right. So it would be genitive. So anyway, good. Yeah, so good. moving on. Yes. Um, so first of all, I'd like to start with uh, sort of a mini rant. And right now I'm wearing my hat of a translation agency. As, as you might or might not know, I'm a translator and I'm also setting up in the process of setting up and growing a translation agency, i.e. working with other translators. So anyway, now I'm wearing that hat. So I'd like to say if you're a translator and if you're on one of those websites where you are invited to bid for a job, you should wait until you're actually chosen for the job before doing the job, if that makes sense. Basically, what happened was I had posted a job on one of those uh, websites where many people can bid for jobs, and, uh, and I sent messages out to a bunch of people that looked like they were qualified. And then, you know, I, I picked someone, and then they did the job, and that was it. And in fact, later, I got a message from another person saying, I see you already picked someone, but hopefully we can work in the future. Anyway, and then I get a message for this one person, and it says, I can do the job in no time. And then anyway, and, uh, and I saw this when I woke up the next morning. And then later on, he sends a message that says, oh, by the way, I'm raising the price by about 20% because it was very technical and I needed to do all this other stuff. And then later, he sends me the translation of the file. Now, I had never chosen him and, uh, and let alone agreed to his price, which was already above the one I had quoted, and then his extra 20%. And, uh, and so, and by the way, and I'd already received a translation from someone else and had sent it off to the end client. So it, it would, it already been done and closed and everything. So I told him, I'm like, well, that's great. And thanks, but I can't, I'm not going to use your translation anyway. And, uh, in the future, you should wait until someone picks you. So you should always wait for confirmation before starting a job and make sure you get a confirmation in writing because you don't want to be working for free. Anyway, that's it. That's, that's a really good point, and will actually come up in what we're talking about when you're start getting started. The first thing I thought was, was this guy new at this, um, but it's, it seems like a no-brainer, but I think you're right. People maybe get over-enthusiastic. Um, in some cases, people are just, just, just not very honest, and they're trying to make you feel bad and get money. I mean, that's a rare occasion, but it does happen where people will just do it and then say, well, now you have to pay me because I did the job. Um, but I think in most cases, it's maybe just an exuberance of enthusiasm or something to something like that. Um, but yeah, don't fall for that. Yeah, only only work on on conditions that have been agreed and, and don't do anything for free. Right. And That's at a the good beginning, point. I actually thought it might be uh, might be an issue like that where they say, oh, I did the job anyway. So now you have to pay me. On the other hand, if you were trying to cheat me, he could just say, pay me or else I'll give you a bad review or something like that. Kind of sure. like what, you know, people can do on Yelp if they wanted to. No, but the thing is here, basically, if someone tries to game the system on any one of these websites, you can give them reviews back. And so yeah. 
you know, it, it, it can backfire on you. And, and obviously the people I chose did have a track record. This person did have a track record. I'm sure it's because he was over enthusiastic, but yeah. I do get other translators who send me emails, you know, say, so I'm confirmed, right? So I should get started. Right. And because you don't want to be working for nothing and you don't want uh, to find out halfway through that you shouldn't have been working on it at all. So anyway, that's it. And now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> we don't have any sponsor yet. If right. anyone wants to sponsor us, we're, we, we, we are available to talk. Yes. yes. We'll take your money. Yes. Especially you, male Kimp. Male Kimp, we know your ways. <laughs> yes, male Kimp. You kind. clever little male yes. Kimp. Okay, I just went to mailkimp.com. Is it a thing? It, it just has a link to mailchimp.com. They obviously bought it because they knew it, it would be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> if no one bought it, I'd buy MailChimp and then, you know, I don't it's know true. what I'd do with it, but still. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's get started. We came here for a reason and yep. this is not that reason. So yep. today we are going to, what are, today we're talking about the chicken and the egg. We're talking about the chicken and the egg. It's both philosophy, geology, history, and evolution. Right. I said both. I said four things. But... You discovered which came first, and it was the egg. It is. I can confirm that it is the egg. The egg came before the chicken. We had eggs before we had chickens. Again, that's evolution. And why is that? Because we had eggs for breakfast and chicken for lunch? or That is correct. Yeah. It's based on the meals that we as humans consumed, um, and then we bred chickens. No, because um, the animal life developed from sea creatures into reptiles into all the animals we know nowadays, including humans. Ergo, they had eggs. Eggs existed before chickens. From an egg, at one point, a chicken-like animal hatched. Well, there you go. That's the end of the episode. Thank you for joining us, and I hope and it helps with the, the end of science. Yes. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so. Here we're going to talk about the chicken and the egg as it relates to businesses. And you hear this for all sorts of businesses. And so I call it the chicken and the egg here as well. But basically, the concept of the chicken and the egg means that you want to sell your product or your service or whatever it may be. But no one wants to buy your product or service unless you have a track record. Unless you, you know, you've bought or you sold before and so they know that you have something good to offer. No one's going to buy anything if you don't know what the hell it is. You're not going to buy a car you've never heard of before if you don't have reviews or something to go by. On the other hand, if you're selling your service or product, how do you get your first client if no one's going to buy unless other people have already bought? And that's the problem of the chicken and the egg. How do you get this started and get the ball rolling? Um, and how can you start the cycle, basically? And so what I have there are five points on how to do it and five, basically, solutions for this chicken and egg problem and how to get it started. Excellent. So exactly. So we're looking at that balance between getting credentials so that people will buy your services and having people buy your services so that you have credentials so that people will buy your services. So we'll go through all five. I'll let you explain them. And if I have questions, I'll ask and comments, I'll add. So give us number one. Right. And uh, exactly. So my first one that I'll start with is also, I think, the most boring. Um, and, but I'll start with it first because all of you are going to try it, and it is SEO and online marketing. This includes Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc. And again, I call it the most boring because everyone's going to try it, and most likely it'll be with little to no effect. And as you can see, 
I do it too. We do it too. We're, this is social media. We are on a podcast on YouTube and we're also on Facebook and Twitter and everything like that. But if I had to rely on that to get clients, I'd be starving right now because I don't think I've gotten any clients from social media thus far. Uh, I'm trying to think actually. I don't, I don't think so. Anyway, um, so if you already have a name brand out there, like if you're Coca-Cola or McDonald's and then yeah, social media is great because you can do your contests, your promotions, and a lot of people will join and it's wonderful. But if you don't have all that, and if you believe that if you build it, they will come, well, don't believe that because they won't. Um, and even if you are into, if you want to use SEO and you want to use the tricks of SEO, I can guarantee you that whatever you learned about SEO, other people are getting paid quite a bit to know quite a bit more about it and to beat you at it. Because unfortunately, very often SEO is a zero-sum game because you're vying for the same eyeballs. And so whatever they get, you don't get and vice versa. So it probably won't be worth your effort to get into SEO and invest the time and energy in learning SEO. So you might think maybe I could pay a company to do SEO for me. And I can tell you from personal experience, I once paid a company close to $2,000. I'm not sure if you even know this. I paid a company close to $2,000 for SEO and it was completely 100% useless. So maybe some people have had success with it. I have not. So that's all I have to say about SEO and online marketing. But it's and it's a good point. I, I, my approach to this is that it is inevitable and it's something you have to do. But I completely agree with you that it's not something that you rely on. It's complementary to the other things that you do. Um, and there's several reasons for that. The main one being exactly what you said. Everybody's doing it, and people jump into it because it's all free. Twitter is free. Facebook is free. I can start a blog for free, and um, you can do all these things. Uh, but that, you know, as you say, that also means that everybody else is doing it, and anybody who can engage an expert or a full-time person is doing it better than you are. Um, that's just that's just the reality of it. Having said that, you need to have that presence, and there. Two main reasons, I'm sure there are many more smaller reasons, but one is that you need to be present in front of people and that's the way to do it. And the other is that people will look for your online presence when they hire you as part of their due diligence. The first thing they'll do is go to Google and, and look you up. So, but, but it's true. Make it, um, remember its, its role in what you're doing. And, and this goes back to our, our previous video, the one just before this about structure and know why you're doing the things you're doing. Um, so SEO slash marketing, online marketing, important. Minimize the efforts. Pick one main thing, mainly, uh, I, I think maybe you'd you say your blog or um, a podcast or Twitter. Pick one main thing and everything else you do, make sure it just sinks from that. Minimize your efforts. Maximize your impact as much as you can. Don't rely on this solely, um, but use it. Remember, it's always complementary to everything else you're doing. Um, so I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, as, as you can see, my sister is a lot more upbeat about SEO and online marketing. Or I guess I'm a lot more downbeat <laughs> than she is. Yeah. So it's probably good that you're in charge of the SEO and online marketing for Akahi. Well, we, I, mean, I think yeah, we plan that media, well. Yes, but yeah. probably it's, bad. It's, it has its role. And I mean, I'll, you know, I'll give up one example where we got a translation request via Facebook yesterday. Now, we oh, didn't get right. the translation request because of Facebook, though, and that's the important thing. It wasn't because of Facebook. But what happened was this person was on Facebook. Somebody mentioned us and probably said, you know, if she, I didn't have anything to write down. Maybe I'd 
that moment said, oh, go on to Facebook and I'm connected to this person or, um, you know, I, I liked something on their page, so go look at my activity or whatever. And so it made it easy for this client to connect with Akahi. Um, so that's an example where it, it just, it did serve a purpose, but again, not on its own. We didn't get the client because we were on Facebook. It just made it easier to, for the client to engage with us. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's got its, it's sort of, it's got its purpose, but, um, that's not, um, yeah, it's not. And if you are doing, and as I say, if you, if you do want to do all the channels and that's a full-time job, if you're going to do a blog and a podcast and do like be a super Twitter user and all these things, that's a full-time job. So then you wouldn't have time to translate. So be realistic as well. Right. All right. Point number two. Okay. Point number two is uh, friends and family. So this is another solution and it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, everyone around, everyone listening to this has friends and or family, hopefully both. And so I would say don't be afraid to contact these people. These are a natural way to get your first clients because, you know, they trust you. They know who you are. And so you never know if they might need a translator and or if they know someone personally who needs a translator. So while you don't want to be the person who bothers them every time, you don't want to be the one who blasts out and messages everyone on Facebook every single day or week that you can do that, at least make sure that they know. And because I think you'd be surprised at how often you think people know that you're a translator. I know it happened to me. I thought it was very obvious that I'm a translator and I can offer all these uh, services, but then I find out many people didn't hire me and it's not because they didn't trust me. I, I just didn't pop into their mind when they needed a translator. So I think it's a very important source, friends and family. Yeah, it, it, that's true. And one that's that people don't always think about. Um, and you also get the flip side, as you say, where people think about it and rely on it too much, you know, and they keep calling up their friends and saying, do you know anybody who needs translation services? But yeah, let everybody know. That's really important, especially when you're just getting started. Um, it's there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for when you're just getting started of just just getting it out there. Call up everybody you know and say, I'm taking a new career path. I'm doing this thing. Isn't it exciting? And just, just put it out there because you never know where your next opportunity comes from. Um, but then, yeah, it's, it's don't bombard them. But, you know, you're talking to, you know, Aunt Judy you haven't spoken to in six months. What's new? Well, not too much, you know, but my translation agency is going well. Drop it in there. Remind them. Give them references. Um, don't, just don't be asking for business every time. But it's true. It's an incredibly valuable resource. And that network that you have that's a direct network it's not a business network but it can expand so so far so use it great so Good. point three point three uh so point three is to do jobs for low pay now at the beginning when you're getting started you want to get clients so doing a job on the cheap is a good way to get your foot in the door you should just realize one thing though. No one's going to hire you for a cheap price now and then keep using you later when you raise your price later. They might, after a year or more of, you know, you being their regular translator, agree to a general price increase. Uh, but even that's iffy and it definitely won't happen anytime soon. So why would you do this? You do this because you can get references and ratings from your first, uh, from your first clients. So you can tell them, you can even let them know. You can say, I'm doing this at way below market price because I really appreciate a good rating, obviously, if they're happy with the translation. Um, but just keep in mind that they might not stick around with you once you raise your prices. So you're basically, you know, the, the rating or the reference is a big reason for this. And uh, to add on to that, I'd also say that you want to have a plan for them rating you ahead of time. 
because you don't want to complicate their life when you do the job for them on the cheap, which fine, and they know that they have to give you a good rating. But, you know, they've already taken a gamble with a, with a translator who has no references. So the cheap price was still a risk for them. But then you don't want to say, okay, then maybe I want a quote, and then could you also give me a WWA reference on pros or a five-star rating on Elance or whatever it is. You know, you want to let them know up front or, you know, right away once you're done with the translation. Okay, thank you so much. Can you just do this? And then that's it. Um, just because otherwise it can, it can make their life complicated as well and uh, can leave them with a bitter taste in their mouth, if you will. So I have a question about this one. Sure. Given that it can be difficult then to carry that client forward once you go into a market rate, should you be particular about the people with whom you employ this? So when you're looking for those early jobs and you're willing to go below market rate, should you try to be focusing on, on clients that are not going to be repeat business or tend to have smaller jobs so that you don't get stuck in a loop of being underpaid? Well, and this can go on a case-by-case -case basis, and obviously it depends on, on how desperate you are and also on what you're looking for. I would, at the beginning, it's very hard to tell, and I would just be honest with them and say, look, as you can see, I have no ratings. I'm offering to do this on the cheap because I'd like to start having good ratings. So basically, you're getting a good deal on this, and, um, and then if you're happy with it, I really appreciate a good rating you know, on whatever it is, and take it from there. If, if that's the case and you made it clear at the beginning, then you could several months in the future say, if they contact you again, say like, okay, but this is my rate now. You know, that was just when I was starting out. It could be iffy and it's always a risk, but I think it's worth it with whichever client um, you get in touch with. By the way, if you're on, this can depend where you are, but if you're on one of those sites like well, now it's called Upwork, where, um, where you can do all sorts of things besides translations. You could do this for a job also that's not a translation, if you will. And, um, and I've seen this done before, where people might just do an easy, uh, you know, research on the web. Like a lot of times people might say something, they're like, I, I want a hotel in Italy. I want it to be, you know, with a view of the sea and this and that. Can you find me five hotels that fit the bill? And you could just do that, which has nothing to do with translation, really. It's just online research of, you know, some websites. And, but it can still get, get you references. And at the beginning, you're just looking for references. So it could be a risk down the road, but I think it's worth taking no matter what. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, that you, um, you don't have to lock yourself into this one thing. You don't give value just for this one thing. So you're right. If, what are you after? You're after a reference based on what? A job well done, reliability. You know, it can be about other things that will still boost your profile for, for right. your core job. That's a really good point. So something to think about. Look at all these forums where you're getting these references and these, these ratings um, and how else can you provide value in a way that won't cannibalize your core business. Yeah, exactly. Which nicely brings us to point four. Um, point three and four, I, I think, are related, and, and um, I know I have some thoughts on them as a whole uh, in the ways that they relate, but I'll let you talk us through it first. Well, point three was do a job for low pay. Point four is do a job for free, because if you're doing a job for cheap, why not do it for free? Now, here it's basically the same reasoning. You can tell the client that you have the same reasons as before, and once again, make it easy for them to rate you. And... And once again, this is based on the premise that ratings and referrals are worth a lot more to you at the beginning because they help you get this ball rolling, the problem of the chicken and the egg, and they give you this track record that you can use later on, that you can rely on. 
Well, the well, it's more of a comment actually in this case because, as you say, they they are related, and and you you kind of go in and pick your battle. You know, what what are you going to do? Is it going to be for cheap? Is it going to be for free? Um, the I'm I I have a number of friends who write in these this period are are starting their own businesses or, or lashing out as freelancers, and the um and and a lot of them, especially if they're coming from a corporate world, it seems to me they they have this approach of oh I'll just do it for free because I'll get the references whatever. Um, and I always actually advise against it. Having said that, the only getting money is not the only way to get paid. So generally, what I'm saying is, um, you know, do get it. Still have a contract, and and this goes back to what you're saying at the very beginning. Have something in writing, no matter what. And you know, if you're doing a job on the cheap, stay upfront what your terms are. So yep. the way I usually think about it is, you don't necessarily have to do it for money. Just know what you're doing it for. So instead of having, uh, you know, sending a quote and saying, okay, this is my quote, this is my rate. Um, you, you're sending some terms and you're saying, okay, you're not going to give me any money for this, but if you are satisfied with this job, if I meet these success criteria, then you will give me a five-star rating here and you'll write a review or, um, you know, whatever, depending on, on your business, of course, the, the, the people I'm speaking to, my friends, are starting different types of businesses. So get those references, credentials, experience, whatever it is. But do get that in writing. And so do still have a contract even if you're not getting paid. And again, so the way I think about it is you're still getting paid. It's just not in money. Um, but you, know, you get what you pay for from the client's point of view. So so long as they feel committed to something, um, then I think you've established a business relationship. And it's really important to have that, as you say, especially for growth and if you want to keep working with these people and continue to get references from them. Right. And so actually I'm curious because you said usually you recommend people not to do jobs for free. Well, if, if not to not to just say, yeah, I usually say don't do it for free. But what I'm saying there is, have stipulate what you're doing it for. Okay. Um, you know, because because people I think sometimes go on faith and they'll say, you know, so um, uh, say a friend is starting an event planning business and says, well, I'm going to plan this event for free because I'm doing it for a friend of mine, and then she's going to give me the photos and then I can put them on my website or uh, you know something like that. Well, you know, my advice and and. Look, nine times out of ten, if it is a friend of yours, that really will happen and it really will work and it's not an issue. But my advice is always still have a contract that says, I'm going to do this. My pay is going to be photographs of the event, official photographs of the event that will go on my website with your name so you are a reference. And, you know, so just have it, you know, don't think about it as doing it for free. Just think about it as doing it for a different type of pay or a different type of remuneration. Right, exactly. Yeah. So your payment is not monetary, if you will, but it's yeah. something else. And uh, exactly. yeah, I agree. Just uh, one point to say, because actually um, it's, uh, well, some translators or some people in, in general would say that you shouldn't do this because it devalues everyone else's translation. I.e. If, if a client can get something done for free or for low pay for, for both of those points, um, that uh, you know, everyone else kind of loses out because it devalues everyone's translation. And I've heard this mm -hmm. argument several times. You can find it on all the forums of translators and whatnot. But I would counter that everyone has to start somewhere. And if you're worth anything, you will be able to use these references to raise prices later on. If, if you find yourself six months, a year down the line, still not earning money or earning very little and, uh, and not being able to charge what you think you should be able to charge, then maybe you should either be working hard to raise the quality of your translations or whatever you're doing, or maybe you should be looking for a different profession. And yep. uh, so I, I, I don't think um, 
anyway, I think, it, I think it works out for everyone in the end. And I think it's something, but it is a way to get your foot in the door. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move to point number five. Point number five, we're already at the final point. So point number five to me is the most interesting and the most overlooked very often. And this is to recognize opportunities. If we're keeping on with the metaphor of the chicken and the egg, it's to recognize when an egg or a chicken comes to you and falls on your lap. Or, a or an egg, sorry, yeah, because the egg comes yes. first. Right. the egg comes first. So it's... um. And uh, the best way to illustrate this, I think, is, an, exam is uh, an example I have is basically I had a friend of mine was uh, he basically complaining that someone had contacted him to do taxes. So he was translating. He did French to English translations and he's based in the U.S. He was translating tax statements for a client in France and the French client wanted to know if he could um, if my friend could also file the taxes in the U.S. So um, and my friend said no because he's a translator and not a tax attorney. But then later on during that conversation, he went on to complain about how he can't find enough work and he needs more work and uh, you know, he needs to earn more, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say if someone asks you to do something you don't normally do, something that's a bit outside the norm, then at that moment, they're handing you an egg or chicken, but uh, no, an egg. So, um, and basically, at that point, they're giving you an opportunity. For example, for he here, my friend who lives in the U.S. could have contacted someone who does file taxes, you know, a tax attorney or someone who does that, and uh, asked them if they might be interested in working together on a translation plus filing type of service. This is new, and this is uh, different, and I would think a, a lot of people would be open to something along those lines. So then if it works out, it'll be an excellent niche to be in. Even if it doesn't work out just for that one time, it probably could have earned both parties, you know, a little something. Right. So anyway, yes. I think this is uh, when you are approached with something that's a bit outside the ordinary, you should recognize it as an egg that's coming to you. And this can, and this can be something like writing an article. It could be doing a transcription for me. It was, in a sense, doing Chinese translations. As you know, I came here to Taiwan originally just for three months to learn some Chinese, but then I was contacted by people I do business with, said, oh, are, are you there? Do you know anyone who does Chinese translations? Do you think you could find someone? And, um, and I started realizing, because this came from a couple of sources, and I started realizing there's a lot of demand and supply for translations into and from Chinese. And so I decided, why not? Let's see if this works out. And that was four years ago, and I'm in Taiwan right now still. So I think this is a very interesting opportunity that a lot of people don't realize. And whenever you hear of an opportunity that is a bit outside the norm, a bit outside the box, that could be a new opportunity to sneeze, at, to, to sneeze? Th that could be a new opportunity to seize. No, and this, and, it, yes. and in fact, it hasn't, people call it pivoting as well in, um, sure. in uh, startups and in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And it's the same concept, basically, but you have to recognize when this opportunity to pivot shows up. Yeah, and it's, it's an attitude as well, and it's an approach, right? So it's, uh, you know, the, the idea of you never say no, you just say, well, how? You know, so ask yourself, never answer no. You know, if somebody asks you to do something and your immediate answer is no, step back, say, I'll get back to you. Think about, well, how? Instead of just, no, I don't do that. And I... I say it's an attitude because I think you and I were raised somewhat with that approach to life. I, 
I, we grew up, our father is a, is a, a independent consultant and entrepreneur in his own right. And, um, and, you know, we grew up with him saying things like there are two types of lawyers in the world, the one in the world, the ones who tell you, you can't do something and the ones who tell you how to do something. Um, and I, and I think that's true definitely with lawyers, but it's true in, in all walks of life. There are those people who, who just say, nope, this is what I do and I don't do that. And then there are those people who say, how can I make this happen? And especially when you are a freelancer and you're trying to you know, build your own brand and build your own product and list of services, always ask yourself, well, how can I do that? Even if it's not what I do every day. Um, so just, just make that your general approach. Always, you have to find a reason not to do something. You don't have to find a reason to do something. And that ties in with these other things we were saying too. How do you do a job for low pay that'll get you um, a reference or it'll get you into a new type of business or it'll help you secure a niche of the services that you, that you sell? So be creative, be open-minded. So that was it. That's all I had to say about this. And I. Okay. Well, if we are missing anything, feel free to let us know. And if there are any other ways of getting the first client, just uh, feel free to uh, comment and let us know because I'd be happy to know about it at least. And otherwise, otherwise, if you have any complaints, feel free to let my sister know. She'll be happy <laughs> we did. To know. We, we gave some opinions. We said maybe some slightly controversial things. So do let us know. We, we engage us in conversation. We didn't say anything too controversial, except you said the egg came before the chicken, which I don't know. Oh, engage us in any conversation that's not about evolution. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can yes. if you want, but frankly, I, it's, it's, I win. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we're going to move right on now about other yes. stuff. And uh, are you reading any interesting books now? Um, well, I, um, we recorded this only two yes, days ago. I know. But the past two days. <laughs> the last one. Um, what I'll add is two books that I read just before that. Um, I, I went on to a bit of an Edith Wharton um, trip, and when I say trip, I read two um, books by Edith Wharton, Ethan Frome and um, The Customs of the Country. Now, some years back, of course, I'd read um, The Age of Innocence and House of Mirth, which are two phenomenal books, and if you haven't read them, you should, um, and if you can only read one, a read The Age of Innocence, um, because they're multiple characters, I think it might have a broader appeal, if that's not your type of literature, it's a fantastic book about humans and human nature and and it's wonderfully written um and house of mirth is is equally wonderful i, I loved every page so i read ethan Frome and um customs of the country and um there ethan Frome is very different from those other books the story itself is very different but just equally poignant um edith wharton just brings across a lot about human psychology and emotion in very simple few words and she's got a fantastic way to write. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. The Customs of the Country, I confess, not as much. Beautifully written, um, but it's one of those books similar to Of Human Bondage that I mentioned uh, previously. It just kind of goes on and the story kind of evolves, but there's I, I didn't always feel that there was a main uh, purpose to it. Um, the story and the points of the story could have gotten could have been brought across um, with, again, fewer words or fewer scenarios. Um, but the writing is phenomenal, as always. That's what I'm reading. That's interesting. And actually, I haven't, because I've read House of Mirth, but I haven't read Age of Innocence, even though I know that's her most famous one. Um, it is. So, yeah, maybe I should check that out and, and those out. So I actually have a new book that I started. It's called, oh, it has such a boring title. The Ethnic Groups, Languages, and Migration of the Formosan, Formosan Natives. 
so yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. It's uh, well. I mean, look, and it's about languages again. So this is about the uh, what are called the Aborigines of Taiwan, and this is the natives of Taiwan before the Han Chinese people came to Taiwan. Actually, the the people native from Taiwan have nothing to do with them, and they're they're actually more tied to the the Austronesian people, and this includes the people all over from, you know, Indonesia to many islands in the Philippines to Papua New Guinea to the Maori in New Zealand, all the way to Madagascar to Easter Island, etc. And so, and these people, and so they share a lot of, a lot with, with all these other cultures, including the language. And so this book is an analysis of that language. And also because a big argument is where, or a big discussion, let's say, is where they started out. Did they start out in the east, in the west, in the north, in the south, and you know how did they spread out? And it looks like actually they did start out in Taiwan, or if not, then very close by. Anyway, and so this book just explores a lot about that. Wow. If this is uh, again, you know, if you're not interested, you're not interested in it. If you have been to Taiwan, or if you know anything about the Aborigines of Taiwan, then you might be interested in it. And uh, I'm finding it very interesting. Again, it's called the Ethnic Groups, Languages, and Migration of the Formosan Natives. There you go. Formosa Island, yes. That yes. makes sense. And although you can't hear her, my wife just passed by. She did. And we since wait. this is a podcast, you will never see her. <laughs> She's often talked about and heard about, but never seen. Much like no, by any of us. Much like Bigfoot, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think she likes that metaphor. Much like, much much like a Shakespeare play, she's often talked about but never seen. There you go. <laughs> much better. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I think that's about it. Yeah. Okay. So. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.